If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 6, verses 21, and we're going to read a sentence of a scripture and then a whole bunch of scriptures to follow up. This is our last, uh, our last sermon in the series, Weapons of Our Warfare. We've talked about faith, obedience, and the process, how faith uh, works in our lives uh, that creates a, a wonderful weapon to, to attack the enemy and our flesh in our life, how obedience is an important thing. Oftentimes, what causes strongholds or uh, generational curses or bondages in our life largely flow out of a place of disobedience in our life. We give the devil far too much credit in our life uh, when really he just sort of steps back and goes, I'll take the assist there. And so you just got to be careful that what you're classifying as the enemy's attack on your life really is just your own disobedience. And uh, am I talking to anybody in the room? All right, I'm talking to myself too. Uh, you know, I, I picture myself with washboard abs, you know, but if I keep going to the fast food joint, it's not the devil that's doing it to me. It's my own. I mean, the steering wheel could play a part in that. So you just got to be careful that what we say is the enemy is really our own decisions. And so we've learned uh, two weeks ago that obedience is something that we have to have to have in our lives to the word of God. Like he's already given us a plan. And we recognize that he is going to not give us anything that's going to tempt us beyond our own capability of saying no to. And so we have to walk in faith and obedience. And man, that process that we talked about last week is so important. Uh, you'll never get to a place to where you'll arrive in the process. It's a continual thing. I, the things that we prayed about as teenagers, how many know that we don't pray about those same things in our 40s? And we don't pray about those things in our 80s? The process, the things change in our life, uh, but God works all those things for the good. And today we're going to talk about something that's very important, uh, uh, part of your spiritual journey, which is supernatural generosity. And before you tune out, I, I, before, you, before you think a pastor is just going to talk about your money and give it to the church, could you at least give me the first 10 minutes of this message to lean in? Uh, because, I mean, I, I have been held uh, to a reputation the local church has been held to a reputation that I don't believe is fair. I think we, we throw in all the preachers and all the churches as though um, we're, we're all doing it that way. My wife and I live among you. You'll see us at Walmart and Winco and Goodwill and Ross. Um, you're not, not going to see us drive, drive private jets. Um, the most beautiful thing about my truck is that it's paid off. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to ride that thing till the wheels fall off. And uh, you might see me on the side of the road one day and go, hey, the wheels just fell off, <laughs> but it's all good. Um, but I, I do want you to lean in because it's through generosity that the heart of believers get to partner with the Lord to advance the kingdom message and gospel and where God wants to take our church, especially in this next season of faith, um, is going to require some supernatural generosity. Do you realize that this church wasn't built from stingy people? You hear the stories of swamplands that this was built on and the, the toil and the work and the sacrificial givings. I've heard the stories of, of membership meetings that didn't turn into, hey, how we didn't spend that dollar, but hey, the church is in need. Let's raise the money to pay the property off. This church is standing here. This ministry is standing here largely because of supernatural generosity. And I believe it's, it's the age group that is mine in the 40s and 50s it's our job to help begin start to shoulder the weight so that we can pay it forward for the next generation. 
the, the trees, the, 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 the covering, so, so you will, of the next generation is going to be provided by the generosity that's found within this room. And there's nothing more than I want than 20 years from now to come back and visit Parkway and watch the next generation be flourishing and knowing that my, my obedience and some of my sacrificial giving with my time, my energy, my effort, and my money paved the way for future generations to be able to present the gospel. And we have a unique, unique situation here at Parkway, uh, more so than any other churches. Uh, I sat down and was looking over the roster. We really have five generations of people that are represented in our congregation. And when you think about that, that yeah, give the Lord a big round of applause for that. That's awesome. And I want you to know how hard that is. Um, I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, my generation grew up with Shout to the Lord Hillsong Worship. Uh, other generations grew up with hymns. If you were to listen to the music that this generation is listening to when it comes to worship, it's like a mix of rap and worship together. And I don't know how church is going to function in 20 years, and I'll probably be the old guy in the room going, this is horrible. Um, but just know that I'll be in the room supporting. Because I don't, the methods are going to change, but it's the message of God's word that's never going to change. And so we have, a, we have an opportunity here, like not two years from now, not five years from now, Mark, we have an opportunity and a window like that is upon us right now to advance the gospel. And so uh, in the next two Sundays, if you're part of the Parkway family, um, I know that we have plans and family plans, but would you, would you hear this pastor today? The next two Sundays, please do not miss. We are going to launch what we're calling our legacy campaign. And the Lord's placed a specific strategy on this pastor and our board's heart to launch our ministry into the future. And the next two Sundays, we're going to line out. We're going to have a series of, of a family talk about what it's actually going to take to actually believe in faith for what God's going to want to do in the, in the not-too-distant future. And some of the dreams are going to seem so outlandish that they're like, there's no way that we can do it. And I just want you to know you're correct. Because um, if we can actually do it in our own power, do you know what we'll do? We'll take credit for it. And, uh, but if, if it's so outlandish that only he can do it, then we're going to take our pointy finger and we're going to point to him and say, but God... And so if you're thankful for a church full of vision and, and obedience and five generations, would you give the Lord one more big round of applause? It's incredible. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's nothing like the strategy of having a water baptism service and then having a whole bunch of new people and the pastors talking about money, right? So I don't apologize for it, and I promise you I won't go long. And um, I, I also promise you that I'm really talking to the, to the church family that's here at Parkway, and you guys, you guys get to be interesting observers. How's that? And you get to see if this pastor is telling you the truth out of Scripture and then apply it in your own life to your own church, and we're going to believe that God's going to do some really incredible things through this valley. Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where a person directs their income tells a lot about his or her priorities in life. And Christ's teaching is very simple and clear. What we do with our finances and treasures reveals what's inside of our heart. Now, the Smotherman family, you have to know this, we are a basketball family. We love to coach basketball, we love to play basketball, and we are competitive. Do we have any competitive families in the, in the church? I don't know, if you don't raise your hand, I've got a problem with you because I don't know why you play games. 
If you're not playing to win the game, there's something wrong, right? Thank you. I got, I got an amen. Like Monopoly at our house usually ended up in a, in a family split with the tables being turned over. And we felt like we were following scripture in doing so. But man, we love basketball. We love the car ride homes. We love, we love the roll of the eyes like dad stopped telling me what I should have done better. Um, we just love, we love what sports teaches our kids. Uh, yesterday, uh, on the way back from Jace playing two basketball games, man, I was so proud of him. But we were getting on the, and pardon the, the, the sports analogy. Oh, by the way, Lord, bless the 49ers today. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. Caught that off of my chest. All right, we're good. And so we, um, we were uh, talking afterwards, and we were talking about uh, an NBA player, current NBA player named Luka Doncic. He scored 73 points this week, which is a lot in an NBA basketball game. It's pretty, pretty incredible. And then we were talking about the person who scored the most points in a basketball game. His name was Wilt Chamberlain. He played. All right, I'm talking to the right crowd. My youngest son had the audacity to say this phrase to me. Ready for this one? No, no, not who is this, but dad, how did you watch him when you were younger? I never wanted to smack my kid so hard in my entire life. I'm just being honest. For those of you that don't know, Wilt Chamberlain was drafted in 1959. So in the 60s is when he played, he scored 100 points. I was born in 1981. So he was genuinely like curious sitting at dinner after, after his basketball games, like the, the games weren't televised and like you had to like listen to a radio where you couldn't listen to it again. And so just, just pray for my son because he's probably going to have to get work this week by his father in some way. <laughs> but we, we love basketball. And so we, we, we uh, enrolled him. He had an opportunity to try out for the Grants Pass Caveman AAU basketball program. And he's in sixth grade, and it's $150 to try out for this program. And there's, I don't know, 20 or 25 kids that try out. They keep around 16 of them, and so it's not a given that you make it. And so we paid the $150, and, and uh, we got the terrible news that he made the team. Because <laughs> you all know what that means, right? You know, It means that, hey, where my treasure is, the $150, now I have to chase it in hotels and gas. And what I've learned about Southern Oregon is that away games are away. <laughs> like California, away games are 20 minutes up I-80. And Oregon, you go, to, <laughs> you go to towns like, you know, Butte Falls and Corvallis and Salem. And, oh, let's do a coast tournament up on the East Coast that you have to drive six hours for. And then you're like doing the math to it. And by the time this $150 that you invested it turns into thousands of dollars. Oftentimes, to go see your kids get their rump kicked, and on the way home, you're, you know, you're just like, you need to play harder, man. I ain't spending all this money. It's a prime example of, of when I put my treasure somewhere, now I have to chase it. My, my little sister, Alyssa, um, who had a, a childhood friend, they tell the story that, you know, we grew up in an impoverished area. Um, the unemployment rate where we, where we were raised was in the 40%. It was a community that was hit, that was hit with drug and alcohol issues and problems. Um, I mean, it was just 
when I, when I say that I was raised on the other side of the tracks, I was raised on the other side of the other side of the tracks. Um, like, you didn't even want to go there and visit at night. We, we had flyers growing up where the police said that they're not even going to patrol anymore, and they might not even respond because of their own safety. And we were like, thank you for that. Uh, and they weren't wrong in their decisions, but that's where I was raised. And so really the only way out to college for a lot of us was trying to be good at sports. And so this family devised this plan of like, hey, we're going to put our, our child in, in softball and travel teams. And, and he was a very, you know, just a, a wonderful man. And he was very one of those meticulous people that kept all the receipts and, and like kept a ledger. Yeah, you're those people. All right. You know, and just kept those, you know, just a, a very meticulous records. And his daughter ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Sonoma State to be a pitcher which is just incredible. And one day he's sitting in the outfield and he's sitting in the outfield and he's, he's, he's going, I know what tuition costs. I wonder how much money I spent from when she was nine till she was 18 with the teams, the fees, the jerseys, the travel, the hotels, all the expenses. And so he starts listing on one side all the expenses and on the right side, the actual tuition. And you guys are already there with me. It costs more from 19 to 18 years old to do all the traveling stuff than it even did for the college tuition on the right-hand side of the stuff. I bring this analogy up because you, we have to understand that as human beings, where our treasure is, what we throw out in front of us is actually in the end what we're going to chase. Does everyone understand that concept? And so we, all of us in this room, I just want you to know we tithe to something. We, we give to something. Some of us give to our hobbies, and I don't want to start going down the hobby list because uh, wives are going to start nudging husbands, and um, i.e., like, yeah, thank you for that. Um, Mark loves fishing, by the way. That's why he said that. And so Robin, I don't know where Robin's at. I'm sorry, Robin. No, um, fishing. But the truth is we have to understand that where, where we cast our treasure in front of us, in the end, that's where we're going to follow. Let me give you a couple examples, and I want to define the church the, the church of Jesus Christ is not an organization. So when I'm talking about sowing seeds into the ministry that God has placed you with, um, oftentimes we, we miscorrelate our giving going to a structure or a building or an organization. And if that's the kind of church that you're a part of, I want you to know that's not the goal of what our giving should actually be really giving to. But there is on the back end functions of buildings and ministries that we have to take care of. But the hope of this pastor is that dollars will get brought into the church for the reaching and the advancement of the gospel. So let me give you an example. I may say that I love the local church, which is God's answer to spread the gospel throughout the world. And for certain, there are imitations, cheap forms, business wolves who have swept in and acted like a church but that doesn't mean that they're the church. I want you to land here with me. Some people will say, Pastor, I don't feel comfortable in giving to the local church or a local body because I see all the malfeasances that have happened with church finances over the years. And what I will tell you is, in every community, in every, in every city, there is a real church that's trying to advance the kingdom of, God, of the gospel and find that church. And I'm going to be honest, if you don't find it here, don't give here. But there is a church somewhere in Grants Pass or Josephine County 
that has the heart to advance the gospel. And when you find that church, it is biblically clear that you are supposed to give to the local church that you're a part of. And so you have to know that. And so I want to pause here because I think sometimes in the church we can get funny talking about finances. And, and rightfully so, there's been a lot of business wolves, uh, pastors that turn into business leaders that care more about the bottom line than advancing the kingdom. And I want to confess something to you. I care less about the bottom line and more about advancing the kingdom through the gospel than I do what the, what, what the bottom line says at the end of the year. That doesn't mean that we don't have to be wise stewards. That doesn't mean that we don't you know, uh, give away our responsibility of stewarding God's resources properly. It means the main thing is the advancement of the gospel. But by far, people when they come to me and ask for counsel when it comes to their finances, they, will, they won't tell me that, hey, pastor, I don't, I don't give to the church because I don't trust the church. That's not the top answer. The top answer is, pastor, I don't, I don't uh, believe that the Bible doesn't speak about giving tithes or giving regularly to the church. I, I, I believe that I'm supposed to do that. The number one answer that I get when, with people that don't give to their local church, you ready for this one? You know what it is? They have a desire to, but they don't have the margin to. I don't have the funds, pastor. And maybe the idea of biblical stewardship is teaching us that margin is actually really important in our life. If you were to take the money out of it, uh, my generation of people that are living in America, would you guys agree that we are just crazy busy? Like probably too busy? I, I actually had a day off uh, on Friday for the first time in a long time. And I'm sitting there on the couch uh, messing around with my boys and, and we're playing and laughing, having a good time. And I start to feel guilty. Has anyone ever done that? Sit on the couch and start to feel guilty like you're not being productive or you're not, you're not actually tackling the day? And, and man, the Lord began to convict me. Rest or margin, ready for this one, is biblical. And if I don't have any margin, again, forget finances. If I don't have any margin, if the only time that I can come to church is 1.5 times a month because I'm so busy with other things, like my, my wife and I, we do our best, and I don't want to say we do it every time. Um, I don't I ever want my sons being raised up in an environment where if they happen to miss a Sunday, they feel legalistic or, or scorn about pursuing a gifting or talent. That's not healthy. But either is creating so many excuses in your life where you actually don't make church faithfully on Sundays. What does the Bible say in Hebrews? Don't forsake the siblings of ourselves together. So margin is a biblical stewardship thing that we are called to live in. And so it's not just our, it's not just our treasure, but it's oftentimes our most important resource, which is our time. I, I um, had the privilege of, of, alongside of Pastor St. John, officiating a, a memorial service for Edith Miller yesterday. Talk about a woman of God. Talk about someone who is faithful and, and her and her husband have lived out this biblical stewardship principle and, and the blessings and the peace that were on that memorial service were just, I mean, stuff that, that legends are made of. I mean, it was just, I mean, talk about, Don, talk about your life just being an incredible um, blessing to so many in this church. But I shared this story at the end of that memorial service about this gift that my son gave me. And, uh, you know, up until this point, Jaden is, you know, always given me like socks and underwear. Come on, somebody. 
And it's usually with money that we gave him to allocate for him to go buy gifts. And, uh, you know, he, so socks and underwear it's been, but, you know, he's, he's been progressing in life and he's been working and he, you know, has his own money and his own job and his own income source. And this is really the first gift that he's ever given me is this watch that I'm wearing. And it's not like, uh, it's not, a, is it a fancy? How much did you spend on the watch? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Rolex, he said. It's, it's not a Rolex. But it's a knockout, yeah, yeah. So he, um, he gives me this gift, and I don't know, there was something about it that touched the core of who I was as a father, because there's something, obviously, about a watch that represents time, and you realize as you get older, the less time that you have and the less precious moments, like, you know, my wife and I talk often about how, you know, my oldest is 18 and my youngest is 11, and there's just this finite time that we actually get to be parents, and then here I am trying my, my best, not the best. I'm trying my best to lead a church, to revive it, to rebuild it, to restore it, to, to with faith generate everything that we can do to, to tackle the next generation. And I have to remember that my first ministry is who? My family. And that I have finite time. I've got finite time with my 18-year-old and my 11-year-old. So listen to me where my treasure is. So I, I can, just to be clear, I can, if I'm not careful, say one thing with my mouth that my treasure is with my family and my church and my relationship with the Lord, and then with my actions do something entirely different. And so I don't want, and again, I'm, I'm, the Holy Spirit's helping me here this morning. This is not condemnation. The enemy will come and try to get in your grill today and tell you all the things that you're not, and he'll begin to condemn you. If you're feeling condemnation this morning, that's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not. What, what, what I'm supposed to do as your pastor is supposed to prod you to a place of obedience because if you will stand on this word and you will live the, your life on the basis of this word and its teaching through obedience, you're going to walk in the church one day with a smile on your face, blessed beyond measure. And I'm not even talking about financially. I don't, I don't give so that I can receive more blessings financially I give because it is improper stewardship with what the Word of God teaches me too. The biggest reason, though, for not giving is margin. And I, I want to encourage you as, as your pastor when it comes to your own personal finances and your own personal time. How about you and your spouse, or if you're single, you and your children, or if you're single, you, you get an accountability partner, a, a close friend, and talk about how I can... I can look at my schedule and my life and my times and my treasures and try to scale back and live within margin. Not one time at that memorial service did anyone talk about the size of the Miller's house or the size of the Miller's bank account or the size of, of no, what did they talk about? They talked about love. They talk about the love of God in their life. They talk about the love of their family. So at the end, our scorecard in life is not going to be how much money's in the bank. It's going to be, what do we do with our life and its energy and its force to matter eternally? It's the only thing that, that we can take to heaven. This building, we can't take to heaven. But what can we take to heaven? People? We can take people to heaven. And so if our treasure is there, what's going to end up happening, it's why it's such an important biblical lesson, because if our treasure's there, the old timers in the church, they say phrases like this, 
Every time the church doors were open, we were there. You know why? Because their treasure was there. My generation, we praise the ball. Our church is oftentimes at, a, at an athletic field, a, a football stadium, a basketball court. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think the older generation, if I can be so, so, so direct, we vacated a lot of influential positions that we shouldn't have vacated. The church that I grew up in, you know, we had Sunday mornings, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, and I didn't play Little League because it was on Wednesday nights. How many of that remember that season of the church? And so we, we basically vacated the Little League boards and the, and, the, and the AAU things, and then secular people got in to lead places of influence, and then they started scheduling sports on Sundays and Wednesdays. So there's got to be a balance to everything. Like I, I, so, so my wife and I, we, we recognize that we never want church to be a weapon for us not to hold influence, when really it should be the exact opposite. We should come in here and get filled up and, and, and top biblical standards so that we can have proper margin in our life to be an influence in our world. I love to coach basketball. I, I love to be a part of kids' life. Ye yesterday, Saturday, I, Grant's Pass feeder program, I'm on the bench with 20 kids on there along with some other great men. And it is life-giving to teach kids the principles of life and how to be a man in a setting that is exciting and tough. And so we have this kind of influence. But again, the biggest reason for most of us not giving financially, not giving of our time and energy and resources, is the margin that we don't have. And I've told this congregation this before. Busy is a choice. Busy is a choice. And what I say yes to and where my treasure is, is oftentimes what I chase. And so my, my hope in encouraging you as we dive into a few scriptures in the, in the few remaining moments that I have, is not to bring condemnation to you, but to know that not just are we responsible individually for our giving, would you listen to me, we're, we're responsible corporately for our giving. I believe that there is not a dream that God gives a church that he already doesn't have the funding tied to it in the local church there today. Like, if we were all obedient to giving, not our last 10%, not our leftovers, but our first fruits, if we were to prioritize the kingdom advancement, I believe that the need would already be met before the mission given. I believe that, because Scripture says it. Rick Renner says this, I may say that I love the Lord, but if I don't tithe as the Lord commands, what does that say about me? I am either ignorant about tithing or my words are cheap. Because if I really love the Lord, my money would reflect that I love him and I would tithe. We recognize that even in our own life, words are cheap and easily spoken. And anyone can say he loves his church, but when a person sacrifices and gives to the church, he is demonstrating that his words are real and his heart really is in the things of God. Uh, consider this, a man, man who says he loves his wife, but never gives her any money or special gifts to demonstrate that love, yet somehow that same man is able to find money to go fishing, buy a fishing boat, go work out the gym with the guys, and so on. What has he demonstrated? He has demonstrated that he loves his wife less than he loves his own life. That's why he is spending his treasure on himself. How many men have told their wives, I love you, sweetheart? and then spend all their extra money on themselves. That's why when I do uh, marriage 
advice. I don't counsel. Counseling is this technical term. But when, when people come up to me and say, Pastor, what is your keys? Just like I come to a lot of you and say, you've been married for so long. What's, what's allowed you to make it? And some of the ladies will say, thick skin. Thick skin is, I've wanted to smack this guy. And the Lord just gave me thick skin. Um, but my, 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 my advice is, I always do this test. I said, if, you have, if there's $100 left in the bank, and that's all you've got to spend for the rest of the month, whose is it? Is it ours? Me, I say it's hers. And then what she says is, no, no, babe, it's yours. It's ours. Because as a husband, it's our job to lay down our life just like Christ did for the church. And then, and then in return, she's going to see that love. And if she's, she's walking with the Lord, she's going to, in return, submit to her husband. But there's this process that has to, has to play out. And, and we, we understand that we can say that we, we love our wife, but if we don't show it ever, our words and our actions don't meet up. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture in John chapter 12 that tells an incredible story of a woman who literally changed the atmosphere and aroma in the room. Jesus and his disciples were having dinner in the home of Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We read in Scripture that this family was very close to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And at this dinner, Mary showed her love by bringing Jesus an extremely expensive gift. The Bible says that Mary brought Jesus a gift of ointment called spikenard. In fact, the Bible even gives us some details that it was an entire pound of it. Some scholars have estimated that this woman's gift to Jesus was worth an entire year's wages. If it was, if it was brought over from the Himalayas in India and used as an ointment or perfume, they say that the cost of this ointment was about 300 denarii or about 72,000 in U.S. dollars today. The word spikenard comes from the Greek word nardos, which describes one of the most expensive perfumes that existed at this time. Why don't you listen to the backstory of this? It was an uncommon perfume extracted from the grasses that grew in the country of India. Once those juices were squeezed out of the grass, they were dried in a hard-like, lard-like substance. And turning that lard-like substance into perfume was a very lengthy and costly process. Or in other words, I want you to listen to me. It wasn't just the cost of money that made the perfume valuable. It was the cost of time that did it. Many of us would say, yeah, I'll just give and I'll go out and do my own thing. But listen to me. God doesn't need our money. I don't know if you noticed that. God doesn't need it. But he knows what it represents in our lives and what the cost of it is. If you add this to the cost of transporting spikenard from India to the other parts of the world, you can then begin to see why this particular perfume costs so much money. The word used in John 12, 3 tells us that Mary didn't bring, a, just didn't bring Jesus a cheap imitation. She brought Jesus the real thing. She said, Jesus, I'm not going to tip. I'm going to tithe. I'm not just going to tithe. I'm going to bring an offering. And I'm not just going to bring an offering. I'm going to bring something that is costly from me to you to let you know how much you mean to my life. Many, I believe, bring a cheap imitation, but our desire at Parkway is to be a house of blessing where we are going to be required to bring the real thing. Over the last 18 months, I want you to know this church, 
We have funded a children's pastor for almost six months at another person's church that needed help. So generosity today is not just what gets brought to the church, but generosity at its greatest form is what gets brought through the church. To be a blessing, not just to to build a bigger boat or to have a nicer building. If that's the goal of giving, then we better help. We better pray that God changes our perspective. The goal of giving is not what God can bring to us, but what God can be, uh, be allowed to be released through us. We can learn about the value of Mary's gift in John 12, 3, where it says the ointment was very costly. This phrase, very costly, is from the Greek word polutimos, a compound of the words polus and timios. The word polos means, listen to this, much or great. And the word timios means to honor, respect, or worth. Together, these words describe something that is of great worth or something that is of considerable financial value. Or in other words, the atmosphere was changed because Mary decided to worship her God, her her Christ, with great honor. Spiritual generosity actually changes the atmosphere by which it's released. Let me me give you an example. These are stories that I never tell, but the Holy Spirit's releasing me to tell it right now. I I met someone uh, down front, and I think I might have mentioned this in passing a couple weeks ago, but not the effects of what God did. I met someone down, down front that was after a service that came for prayer, and the Lord man, just put it on my heart to reach into my own wall and grab some money and give it, give it to this person to, to, meet, to meet a specific need. It was in that moment that we had a gentleman that was watching over me that God began to convict. He said something like this to me, and it was in private, so I don't want to go into detail, but he said, you know, the Lord began to check me about the fact that um, I've been generous to the institution of the church, but I really haven't been generous to the people of the church. So he came by my office with tears in his eyes, and he said, I've, I've had this envelope in my in my, uh, in my nightstand now for a minute, it's just money that I save out of, out of my pocket that it sort of gets dropped down and ended up being around five or so hundred dollars. And he handed me this envelope and he said, Pastor, it so convicted me that you had to reach into your own pocket as a pastor and meet a certain need. And I have never done that before. The generosity that took place in that moment, listen to me, changes the atmosphere so that it affects someone else, another believer, to where now that other believer begins to pay it forward. He said, Pastor, here's, the fi- here's $500 that I've saved up for a certain special something, and my only requirement that I'm giving to you is that you give it away to someone that needs it. And wouldn't you know, Mark, Chad, wouldn't you know, I had that money in my wallet, and we had a, we had a, a day in the office where we had nine people knock on our door and need a benevolence request. We had three or four people in our own church that needed help with something or somewhere. We, had, we met with a, a dear lady that's battling some sickness over, we met her at Casablanca and the Lord said a hundred of that dollars goes to her. And I remember pulling it out at strategic times and it was a, a representation tangibly that you are in sight of your heavenly father and he sees your need and he knows, he wants you to know that he's got you. So super uh, Supernatural generosity, it changes the atmosphere because when it's done properly, it's done with great honor, not expectation for what's coming to me. The fact that Mary possessed this is incredible. How many people can say that they have a year's wages in reserve? So the fact that Mary did it, she understood biblical stewardship was 
was to create a margin in her life so that she could be a blessing to others. And just by proving that she had a year's wages in reserve, it allowed her to give God her best. Again, John 12 and 3 says, Mary took out a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Before I get down to the anointing of the feet part, I want to be clear. What I'm not saying as your pastor is give a year's offering this morning to the church. What I'm not saying this morning is equating Parkway, the organization, to Jesus. I am not up here behind this pulpit promising prosperity because you gave to his church. But what I am clearly saying is the weapon God uses oftentimes to change the aroma or the atmosphere in a room is that of generosity. Generosity unlocks atmospheric changing properties in the space around you. And one of our values here at Parkway is we are going to be a, a people of blessing. This last weekend, our church had given, uh, I want to say around the $5,000 mark to smaller church pastors so that they can go to a conference and learn about how to grow the church in, 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 in rural settings. This church is a part of the advancing gospel that doesn't count blessings by what comes in. We count blessings by what goes out. These pastors were able to go and sit and learn strategies and we were able to, to sponsor around 10 couples to go to this wonderful conference to be blessed and learn how to, because why? Listen to me. What I'm not asking for is more for me. What I am asking for as your pastor is if we will be obedient to the tenets of faith that God's called us to, the advancement of the gospel that can be had will be, listen to me, will be world changing through this house. We believe that. When Mary took the lid off that expensive bottle, tipped it downward and began to pour that precious ointment on Jesus' feet, everyone in the room must have gasped. This kind of perfume, I want you to picture yourself in that room. This kind of perfume was not normally used for feet. Rather, it was the kind of ointment used to anoint the heads of kings and dignitaries. Mary, don't you know that you're pouring it in the wrong direction? Mary, don't you know that costs a lot of money? Mary, don't you know that it's a waste? Mary, don't you know? Mary's actions would have been considered a horrible waste in most people's minds, but that's not how she saw it. Mary loved and appreciated and valued the feet of the master. Others will gasp at what you give because they don't understand why you give. Others will gasp at what you give because they don't understand why you give. When people awkwardly come up and thank me for moving from Vacaville to Grants Pass, when I say it's awkward, it's not awkward for them, it's awkward for me. My response usually internally is, why wouldn't I? What God has done for my family, the hole that he took us and dug us out of, isn't it just a small thing to pay it forward for somebody else? And her giving didn't just reach the crowd in that house that day. It had an audience in the past, and it has an audience in the future. Isaiah 52 and 7 declares or describes why Mary must have felt this way. Here's what 52 and 7 says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that, publish, that publisheth peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, 
that saith unto Zion that my God reigns. Her act of anointing Christ's feet is exactly what the prophets saw in Isaiah chapter 52 and 7. And we are actually teaching on a passage because of her obedience, of her offering. Your generosity, you have to know, builds upon those who have gone before you and extends to those who will come behind you. You see, no other feet in the entire world were more beautiful to Mary than the feet of Jesus. Because why? Jesus had changed her life. Jesus had brought her brother back from the dead. Jesus had brought new meaning into her family. To Mary, every step Jesus took was precious, honored, and greatly valued. And I want you to listen to me. Not only did she anoint his feet, she had the audacity to wipe it with her hair. So not only did she give him what represented her life, but she used her hair which represented her glory, her wonder, her identity. Her full wonder and being was on display because God didn't just have part of her. God had all of her. After she poured out this perfume onto Jesus' feet, Mary reached up. Just picture yourself in the moment. Reached up into her head and untied her long, beautiful hair, gathering it in her hands. Then she leaned down and began to wipe Jesus' dry feet with her hair. In the, in the days of the New Testament, a woman's hair represented her glory. But that day, her glory was to wipe the feet of Jesus. You know, generosity does that. Generosity really does tell you what you actually treasure. And I love this final line in John 12 and 3. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I don't know about you, but I want to be a church. I want to be a ministry that changes the atmosphere of the region because it's not about just populating Parkway. It's about populating heaven. Judas was in the room. He got mad. Why are... Why are you talking about giving, Mary? Why are you doing that? Do you know in the end, Judas wasn't exposing Mary? In the end, he was exposing his own wrong perspective on giving. Our generosity and love for Jesus can be seen in how, where, and why we give. Scripture teaches us that we are supposed to give cheerfully and consistently. Scripture also teaches that we are to give to our local storehouse 10% of all of the increase. And I want you to know it's when we say all of the increase, it's not the leftovers. He's a first fruit kind of God. He wants not just our leftovers, He wants our best. I wonder how much the church would advance if the people of God all over America would not just give a tip, but they would actually tithe. Not just tithe of their wages, but tithe of their inheritances, tithe of, of the blessings that God's given them in their businesses. I wonder what would happen if supernatural generosity would be released and we were doing it with the right heart. I don't know about you, but why I give, why the Smotherman family gives, is because he first gave. Do you know that there's no uh, escape clause even for ministers? Like, you know, ministers tithe. Like, I'm not asking you to do something that my wife and I already don't practice. We have seen the blessing of God in our life. And it's not just monetarily. It's the blessings of watching two boys sit in that front row every Sunday. And they're falling in love with Jesus more and more every day. 
and answering the, God's great call that he has on, his, on their life. You know, as we give, every dream and mission that God has for us as a collective body, I believe, will be met according to his will. The next two weeks are crucial for our church. They're crucial because they're going to lay out a plan for what God's going to have us to do in the expansion of the ministry of Parkway. But really, the ministry of Parkway is just a tool to advance the kingdom of God. We had nine calls in one day last week, stories of benevolence. I was thinking about the conversations that we're having as a board, about our our 2024 budget and the dreams that we currently have in display. But you know that mission can be tabled because of a lack of finances in a church? I was thinking about the stories of blessings. If you can trust him with your salvation, surely you can trust him with your finances. I was thinking about the process of actually giving. I, I'm one of those people that actually give online once a month when I get paid. And as convenient as it is, I think we've lost the art of what it actually means. It's almost like giving has become a bill that we pay. You remember the days when you used to have a tithing envelope and you used to write your check or put your money in it and you would, you would actually visibly look and it would say the word tithe and then it would say the word offering and then it would say the word missions and then it would say the word, you know, like um, building fund. There was something tangible about taking an offering envelope and putting what represented your life in it, not a number on a piece of paper, but tangibly putting something in an offering envelope. And then as the bucket would pass, say, Lord, I'm here today intentionally, not just to give you a show of my life, but I'm here to give you my life. You know, tithing in Scripture, the way that I read it, is just the bare minimum. But man, when God asks you to give of, uh, give of offerings or special sacrificial giving, Tithing, listen to me, tithing is what sustains the church. Our offerings are actually what propels the church forward. And so we're going we're gonna to make an announcement in the next two weeks on something that we're going to do as a family. But I, I want to be clear. Tithing is the bare minimum. Sacrificial giving and offerings is what we actually bring to God that's above our tithe. When we give to missions, when we give to the benevolence fund, it, it releases and changes the atmosphere of generosity that literally can change a culture and not just our money. I want to I speak to some of you in this room. Some of us have professional giftings and talents, production experience, construction experience, accounting and stewardship and banking experience. Isn't it sad that oftentimes in the church, we leave giftings and talents that God's placed in the body on the outside when really some of the greatest resources that we have are people to come help steward. The next two weeks are going to be an invitation. An invitation on what he's going to want to do, not just in the next year or two years, but the next five or ten years. And the expansion. Like right now we have, I think, five or six, is it five interns? Uh, we have interns. We, we've got people that are ready to come on, on staff in, 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 a, in an incredible way to help the advancement of this church and its ministries. But listen to me. In the end, we give not because of what we get on the other end. We give because he's asked us to be able to do so. I felt the Lord at the beginning of this message when I started talking about margin. Brooke, if you can come back to the keyboard. I felt like, man, that that sort of hit, hit in the room, didn't it? And more than anything, I want to give space for the Holy Spirit in this very practical lesson today.
to speak to us about busyness and margin in our life. Because you know this pastor by now. I didn't come here for money. I didn't come here for a paycheck. I already had one. I came here for the advancement of the kingdom. I came here for, for families like Doug and Everly that got baptized today. I came here because he told me to come here. But what God is inviting you to is to be part of this incredible revival and move of God that's taking place. And it's going to take our supernatural generosity to do so. But the Lord's got to deal and put some things in, in, in order, like our priorities, the margin, the busyness of our life. And when he does that, there is nothing that's going to be too hard for God. Hey, we're heading down the home stretch to close of this service. My wife is going to sing one song. Would you guys stand across, across this auditorium? We're going to sing one worship song together. And we're going to allow the Lord to give us an opportunity, to, for him to give us an opportunity to say, Lord, there's some margin things in my life that I need to set straight. Man, and Lord, I'm chasing after you. Brooke, would you sing?
he's been good to me. You out that direction, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This pastor will always give an invitation for the lost. You're here and you witness a, an incredible service. A water baptism full of people literally changing their family tree and destination. And I know that there must be at least one or two people in this room that say, Pastor, it's me. I, I need to say yes to Jesus in the middle of a tithing message, but watching the blessing of God and the peace of God and the anointing and the Holy Spirit all over this room. The Holy Spirit's been talking to me about getting my life right and going all in. And I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this moment without giving somebody an opportunity that doesn't know if they're right with the Lord to get right with the Lord. So your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room. If that's you, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out, but I do want to know who I'm praying with. Would you stretch your hand up so I can see it? If that's you and you want to give your heart to Jesus this morning, is there anybody at all this morning? I see your hand. Thank you in the back. Anybody else? What an incredible thing. I see your hand right there. Thank you. There's two. There's one more on the other side, too. There's three. Parkway, would you help these wonderful, wonderful people that saying yes to Jesus today? Would you help pray this prayer of faith with them? Again, it's not the, the prayer that saves you like some formula. It's a belief that Jesus is now becoming Lord of my life, and I'm thankful for what he did on that cross and out of that tomb. Would you, would you help them pray as one big group say, Dear Heavenly Father, I say yes to you today. All of me for all of you. I thank you for what you did on that cross. I thank you for the victory that you conquered in that tomb so that I may have life and have it more abundantly. I confess you not just Savior today, but Lord over my life. I say yes to you, your will, your ways, your ways over my ways. And I'm thankful today that now I'm a child of God. I'm blood-bought. I'm going to be Holy Ghost-filled. And I'm going to be part of the army of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, yeah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. If you raised your hand today, we've got some members of the Yes team that would really love to, to meet with you. We call them the yes team because you just said yes to Jesus. And there's somewhere in the, in the back, John Anderson's back there. There's going to be a couple of us up here. We would love to connect with you guys. One last thing, go 49ers. I love you guys. We'll see you guys next Sunday.